throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testaments, it's this, this sense of judgment begins with the household of God. Mm-hmm. Or in Amos, there's that amazing verse uh, where the Lord says of Israel, you alone have I chosen from among the nations, therefore I will punish you. <laughs> what? Yeah. Surely we've got the, there's the bad people out there and we're the good, good guys. And Jesus is like, no, no, you are first in the queue for a reckoning. Mm. And that, that is you know, like, so Christ takes on at the, at the head of the house, he takes on that wrath bearing judgment and that justice. And we hide ourselves in Christ in repentance and faith and are led through, but judgment begins with the house of God. And we, we tend to think, no, judgment is for the outsider and those nasty unwashed people over there. But actually the way of the gospel is to be the first to bow our heads to justice, to repent and believe, to come clean, to walk in the light as he is in the light and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And unless we're doing that first, we've got no message for the nations. If I seem tired during today's interview, it's because our guest, Glenn Scrivener, lives in the UK and I do not. They are about five hours ahead of us. And for this interview, I got up at about 4 a.m., which I don't mind doing at all because when you get the opportunity to have a guest of the, the quality and reputation of Glenn Scrivener, it wouldn't have mattered what time I had to get up. So I got up at 4 a.m., I was in the studio at 5 call with Glenn talking about creative evangelism, talking about just really how winsome is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't need catchy titles, although I've been known to use catchy titles for things like this very podcast. And if you work in Christian ministry at all, that you know that sometimes we spend so much time making things flashy and making things look good that we actually forget that it's the message of the gospel that matters. And so he, uh, Drop some serious wisdom in today's episode about making evangelism creative, making it something that people will look at it. And as you're going to hear in one particular story, you know, a man who, who had just recently lost a family member who said, you know, none of this other stuff matters. What I really want to know is does, does Jesus have anything that can help me sort out my life? And if you're a Christian, you know, the answer is yes. And so our evangelism should imply that. And so Glenn's the best. He is hilarious. And, and just, if you go check out, um, the, the, the speak life website and the speak life social media, you see just how creative and amazing their content is their media. It's awesome. You need to go check it out. And while you do that, while you're on Instagram, checking out their, um, their, their account, go to all things, all people. Uh, all things dot all people on Instagram, go to the bio there and click help ATAP win an award. We have the opportunity to be nominated for the people's choice podcast awards and the religion and spirituality section. And I think it'd be really cool if we won or even came close to winning um, because this has been a really good first year of the show. I mean, when I started the show a little over a year ago, I, I did not think we would be where we're at right now with the guests that are coming, with the guests that we've had, um, and really just the impact that it's had. It's been amazing to hear the stories of people who feel more equipped to have conversation with their friends and family, with people who feel like for the first time they don't they don't have to feel like they're stupid because they're Christians, because they've they've had the opportunity to listen to these conversations with Christian thinkers. And you, if you don't know it, 
You don't have to be a well-known Christian to be a Christian thinker. Just the mere fact that you're sitting there listening to this show and thinking deeply about the things that you're hearing means that you, in fact, are a Christian thinker. And so how cool would it be if a show about Christian thought and religion and religions uh, won this award? And so go check us out. I think the link's going to be in the show notes as well. And so uh, go check out Instagram, the show notes, and vote for us to win that award. It would be awesome, wouldn't it? Um, but until then, and maybe while you're doing that, unless you're driving or something, don't don't text and drive, don't vote and drive. But if you aren't, do that. And while you do, enjoy the conversation I was privileged to have, however early it might be. Thank God I just bought a brand new Ninja Coffee Maker which fueled me up for my conversation with our Christian thinker for this week, Glenn Scrivener. Let's do it. My next guest is originally from Australia, but has lived in the UK for more than half his life. He was curate at All Souls Church Eastbourne, um, but since 2010 has been an evangelist at Speak Life Ministry, a ministry that since 1952 has fantastically utilized media to share the gospel. In the last eight years, the team has produced hundreds of resources seen and heard by millions for which they have not only received awards, but also have had a hand in seeing many who otherwise would not have had the opportunity to be uh, to say yes to Jesus and his good news. Um, they've been a part of that. And in 2014, he became director of that ministry, Speak Life, and can often be found speaking in churches and universities, producing online media in the studio, hosting and being on podcasts just like this one, writing or spending time with his wife, Emma, and their children. So it's with all this in mind that I'm honored to have on the show today, Glenn Scrivener. Glenn, thank you so much for making time to be, uh, uh, to be on the show all the way from the UK. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. Um, so we were, we were talking before in, in pre-show. Um, I've had quite a few people on the show who are tangential to you in some ways, uh, you know, but interestingly enough, I've, I think I've had, you are the third Australian I've had on the show, Mike Bird, Sam Chan, and now you. And the commonality that listeners wow. are going to find somewhat quickly is um, Aussie scholars and ministers have such a better sense of humor than their American and English counterparts. <laughs> um, why, why is that when I watch your videos or Mike's videos or Sam's, I laugh so much more than when I watch everybody else's? I think with Mike and Sam, you might've picked a couple of outliers to, yeah. be, to be fair. <laughs> I think they, are, they yeah. are kind of, they are one-offs in their own way, but um, uh -huh. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think an Australian sense of humor is a bit of a hybrid between an American and an English sense of humor. We mm -hmm. sort of grow we grew up on Monty Python and that and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the goodies, which might not have translated over to the, the the States, and the Goon Show, which was a classic English radio show that still is broadcast on mm -hmm. Australian radio every every week. So we get we get that kind of sarcasm from mm -hmm. um from England, but I think we get a more sunny disposition and yeah. we might be a little bit more positive like like the Americans. So Yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Um, did you in Australia? I know that every time I talk to an English friend, 
it seems like if they're of a certain age or or, or, or older, they grew up on faulty towers. Were you? A oh fan? yeah. Okay. I I had the I had the scripts memorized. I would I would go away on holiday. I remember like aged eleven, my parents bought me a, the like the 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 scripts, and it's amazing to say about a, a, a sitcom because in in the states, if a sitcom is any good, there are at least three hundred episodes of it, yeah. whereas. There yeah. are only 12. Not with the BBC. Hours, the BBC keeps them. things very <laughs> limited. Yeah. Um, really? So, you know, the, 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 the hilarious thing about you, and I think I said this when we were talking <laughs> before, is I came to know, really, I think I knew about you um, just, you know, because you guys are so present on social media and producing content. Um, but really, I, my, my recognition of you and your work really went to a new level when I was researching Justin and I was watching episodes of Unbelievable and I saw you debate Matt Dillahunty. And then I was researching Sam Chan and I saw the videos and the content that you, you and him produced with Gospel Coalition. And I think I said to you pre-show, but I was like, who is this guy who just says whatever he's <laughs> thinking, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, constantly, you know, I mean, you, you know, you, yeah, you, you have this incredible sense of humor, but also a, we'll call it like a holy brashness, a very, a, a boldness that you carry with you <laughs> that I, that I saw in these, in these things. So what was it, you know, I mean, we're going to talk a lot about evangelism today, but like, I think that's an important part of when we talk to you about evangelism, it's a very honest and transparent evangelism um that i think is especially good for you to be taking part in because you have just like this ability to cut through awkwardness to cut through formalities and pleasantries and just get right to it um what was it what is it about you that that makes you so good at that do you think oh that's it i'm just rude i take it i take it <laughs> not rude not rude although um yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know. That's that's interesting that I come across like I have no filter because I, I feel like I'm filtering. Really? Well, <laughs> so, that's probably good. So yeah. Imagine. Imagine if I took the handbrake off. Yeah. Jeremy, yeah. This, would, this would be really this is really, really bad. But um, I, there is something about that to an Australian. And, and I think you, you become doubly bold if you're in a foreign culture. Mm. So you you feel like you can blunder into issues mm -hmm. and you've always got the fallback of hey i'm just i'm from australia i don't really yeah. understand the social right. etiquette and of mm -hmm. course i do understand the social yeah. etiquette yeah. <laughs> but it's a good get out um when you when you go a little bit too far so i, I think you can be mm -hmm. um, a prophet in someone else's hometown oh, um yeah. in in a way that that allows you to kind of speak into issues perhaps perhaps a little bit more and you know for instance you know england and the class issue is mm -hmm. just such like i i was at um lunch with somebody else like another english person who um and as we were as we were ordering from the menu he was talking me through his internal monologue about, well, I wouldn't want to order this because people would think that I'm gluttonous and I wouldn't want to order that because people would think this and I wouldn't want to order that. And I was like, is this really how you think? <laughs> and I've been living in the UK for 25 years and I had no idea that mm -hmm. this was the internal, he was quite a posh sort of a person and, mm -hmm. and grew up going to the right schools. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just fascinating that that had been his cultural constraints the whole yeah. time. And being a foreigner in a foreign land allows yeah. you to kind of see things with, and, and to cut through and to, yeah, to, to blunder into issues yeah. with a, sometimes it's a genuine naivety and sometimes it's a, an affected mm -hmm. naivety. Yeah. But it, I, it, yeah. Yeah. It gives you a pass. I, re I read, I read an article that you wrote where you, you were talking about all the mistakes that you've made in evangelism. 
And you said at one point, I think it was even like there was a particular English pejorative of some kind uh, that that you you had made it 20 years in the UK. Yeah. Hadn't realized that it was uh, in the United States. We would say it's a cuss, a cuss word. But, um, you know, you hadn't realized that, but you were using it flippantly in a sermon and thought that the the shocked looks on the people's faces was conviction. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So that's an incredible that's an incredible faux pas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. hilarious even though i had yeah i had i but people forgive you for it because they're oh well yeah. he's australian he doesn't really understand <laughs> he doesn't know any bless, bless yeah. him yeah. you know and and, like, Wait, yeah. how, how long has he been here <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> shouldn't he know this by now yeah. um yeah, but... it, so when i when i think of you though I, you know like i've already mentioned i do think of evangelism but like there's people who are evangelists and as soon as you hear that word, you can sort of understand what they're going to be doing, right? When we talk about Billy Graham, um, uh, even Sam Chan and, and, and John Dixon and some of these other folks who, who, who would be classified as evangelists, I pretty well understand what it is they're going to be doing with their time. But with you, I think my listeners um, might make the mistake of thinking, okay, so he just travels to university campuses and he just travels to groups and shares the gospel. But really, Speak Life, in my opinion, is on the cutting edge of of producing content evangelistic in in nature and, and doing so many different things. But really, in that same article that you wrote, I feel like I stumbled on at least perhaps a motivation for you, because in that article, you were talking about all these mistakes and you said, there's lots of mistakes to share, but really the greatest mistakes in my evangelism have been the faux pas I didn't make, the awkward Mm -hmm. silences I didn't provoke, the sneers I never got because I never raised the name of Jesus in the first place. My greatest failures have been the conversations I never got around to having with my friends and family. And then you quoted a very famous quote from D.L. Moody, where he said, I like my way of doing it evangelism better than your way of not doing it. Mm. Um, so what is it? What was it in your walk with with Christ that? Yeah, Speak Life's on the cutting edge and they're doing phenomenal content. And I'm excited to talk about that. But really what what what's at it is that what I hear from you is when you're in these situations, you see the need for these conversations, these, even if they are awkward or unwelcome at certain times to happen, what brought about that urgency for evangelism that's led you now to being a part of Speak Life? Mm. Well, I want to offer a caveat to the the DL Moody thing, mm-hmm. because I think some sometimes evangelists can just use that as a get out of jail free card whenever yeah. things go wrong and they just say, well, at least I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, and that can be giving you yourself a free pass for actually doing no theological reflection <laughs> on what you're doing. And um, so um, so I'm, I'm definitely not an advocate of just do it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, so many of my failures in evangelism have been, um, I remember I, I worked at All Souls Langham Place right in the center of London mm-hmm. um, at, at one time. And on a Thursday, we used to get out um, and um, get onto the streets. And here we are, Oxford Circus, the whole world comes to Oxford Street to go shopping. And here's an opportunity to engage the world. Um, as it passes by. And I was doing evangelism there as a very young evangelist. I was probably 22 years old. And a friend of mine came and heard the things that I was saying. And I was just being brash and trying to scatter the seed. And uh, my friend said, Glenn, there's something else that happens on a Thursday night and all souls run this theology class. Why don't you come and like learn the gospel? Mm. And I still remember saying to my friend, you know, I don't need to learn the gospel. I know the gospel. Mm. These people don't know the gospel. I need to, to share it with them. And then my friend very boldly just said, 
maybe you don't know the gospel. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know? maybe, maybe you don't know it the way you think you know it. And I sort of took a, a season where I came out from the street evangelism thing and did the theology thing. And I learned that maybe I didn't know the gospel. At least not the way that I thought I did. And maybe sometimes I was offering the bread of life and sometimes I was just offering sawdust with a bit of chili sauce just for kick. And that, and, and that has been something I'm really learning in terms of, yeah, just do it yeah. is not the evangelist's mantra. And, you know, Matthew 23, 15 is the scariest verse in the Bible about evangelism because Jesus berates the Pharisees. He says, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you do, you make them twice the son of hell that you are. Mm-hmm. So does the world need more evangelists? Mm. Does the world need more people who just do it and say, I, I prefer my way of doing it to what your way of not doing it? Because the a Pharisee could say that. I prefer mm. my way of doing it to your way of not doing it. They travel mm. over land and sea. So it, it, there's got to be something much more than just um, boldness. And mm-hmm. there's got to be something something much more than just pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Gotta be, there's got to be a Matthew 12, 34 from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so... Um, really what I want to do, and, and you know, this, this is part of um, why I structure my, my, my life around not just traveling and shooting my own mouth off, mm-hmm. but raising up others, filling up hearts that they might overflow with the gospel of Jesus. So I, I could go around and just shoot off my little gospel bullets. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'd much prefer to do is, in addition to doing that and taking people along with me, is to fill hearts with the love of Jesus and to and to train up another generation of evangelists that that don't have sil- silver bullets to be you know shot out there, mm-hmm. but who are inspired in a love for Christ that must be articulated and cannot not be articulated. That's mm-hmm. that's far more the way I'd like to to do yeah. things. Yeah, and I think you do a phenomenal job of it. And in fact, you are one of you know my preferred people to listen to talk about evangelism because of. Um, the heart that you have for it. And, and I've previously mentioned uh, fellow Aussie and, and past guest, Sam Chan, who, who's another phenomenal voice when it comes to the topic of evangelism. And there's this very short series of videos where you and Sam, I think for gospel coalition um, are talking about evangelism in, in, um, in, in, in a difficult world, quite frankly. I mean, we're, I think he even wrote the book evangelism in a skeptical world. And in it, uh, you and Sam, you know, talk about, we, we were, we were faced with so many questions, right? So you'll hear quite often, oh, religion has caused so many wars and so much violence. And then you say, uh, religion, you know, Christians are, 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 are bigots and, and just all of these, um, very antagonistic objections to Christianity. And I feel as if, uh, you and Sam both, um, you know, in that series, but then in how you, at Speak Life are putting this media out really have a knack for cutting through much of that. And as I previously mentioned, you um, you debated Matt Dillahunty on an episode of Unbelievable Who. There's few more vocal antagonists to uh, Christianity or just theism in general than Matt Dillahunty. And you have this ability to, to get to the heart of the matter. So when someone talks about evangelism, whether it might be in a UK where I think quite often people would say the UK is post-Christian. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but that's the label you'll hear quite often. Um, here in the United States, I live in what's called the Bible Belt, where there's an oversaturation of nominalism. Um, how do we do evangelism in the world that you and I are living in, where it seems like on either side you have a, 
of vitriol and antagonism. And then on the other side, maybe perhaps an a laissez-faire nominalism, which doesn't think it needs to be evangelized. I think that mm. you guys have the right way of looking at it. And I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that. I guess one, one thing that translates whether you're in a post-Christian context or whether you're oversaturated with nominalism mm -hmm. um, is not to be, um, not to be motivated by how you think others will receive you. Um, and I, I think this is, this is the message, especially in the post-Christian, you know, mm -hmm. Western European setting is that you, you disqualify yourself from having any kind of gospel witness because you think that people are going to label you a bigot or a homophobe or, you know, any, any number of epithets that might be thrown your way. And you haven't, you haven't even tried the door. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're convinced that the door is, is double bolted against you mm -hmm. and you haven't even tried the handle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like I did, I did a university mission. Um, uh, this is a few years uh, ago and the, the students at this university mission, they seemed to, to take the view that what we really need to do is to troll the student population and come up with the most inflammatory talk topics that you could possibly have. And then get Glenn Scrivener to <laughs> pour oil on troubled waters. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was all things like, why does God hate gay people? And why does God mm. hate women? And all this, you know, and, and one of the lunchtime talks was, why does God hate women? Right. And so mm. they at least had the wisdom to get a woman to speak into the issue. And so yeah. I was on the bench, you know, sitting in the audience, listening to a, a brilliant talk um, by someone who, um, just dealt with the issue really wisely and warmly, but then there was Q and A afterwards, and they they had a roving mic mm -hmm. go into the crowd, and the um, and the president of the um, was it the Humanist Association or the Skeptic Association? Or, um, he he was there. He took the microphone and he did not let go of the microphone. And for the next twenty minutes, he just grilled her with all the uh, sort of the brickbats that get thrown at Christians and the bigot bigotry and the homophobe and what about genocide in the Old Testament? Suddenly we were like going mm -hmm. all over the place. And she dealt with these issues so beautifully, so warmly, so wisely. Um, but everyone's shoulders were just up around their their ears. And then some students sort of got up um, from the Christian Union and said, well, um, thanks, everybody, for coming. And we hope you come back tonight when Glenn's speaking. And, mm. <laughs> and like, the music played. And I'd been having a conversation with, with this guy who just walked in off the street. He came for the pizza. He didn't, mm -hmm. he didn't need the inflammatory talk title, mm -hmm. which, which is a real lesson in itself. He just came for the pizza. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and so we had, we had a great conversation beforehand and then we had this and as soon as like the student ended the meeting i turned to this guy called mark and i said what did you make of all that and he thought for a second and he, he pointed to the the humanist guy he said like oh i didn't care what this what that idiot had to say it's just that my grandfather died last week and i'm really starting to wonder what life's all about do you have any thoughts mm. wow. i was like yeah i have a few and and mm. and we started to have this conversation one of the great things that um ha happens in uk mission is that they give out gospels um and so everybody's got john's gospel in their hands mm -hmm. and so we just picked up john's god we just started reading it together we had a conversation for the next hour and i looked around the, the room and there were all sorts of brilliant conversations that people were having that had nothing to do with the angry 20 minutes that was being broadcast over the pa system mm -hmm. and ever since then my mantra has been the guy with the mic does not speak for the room. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I think I think of that culturally as well. That mm. the airwaves might be like overwhelmed by discussions about transphobia, for instance. Mm. Does does your neighbor have the same view as whoever is having that conversation on CNN one night? Mm-hmm. Very likely not. Right. But maybe their granddad died last week and they're wondering what's going on. So like forget about the guy with the microphone and turn to your neighbor and wow. get into a conversation. Yeah. Otherwise, we just disqualify ourselves from from all yeah. these conversations that oh, could be so good. could be being had. Yeah. And I, I picture you sitting at that event. Um and I've been a part of so many of those styles of events where someone well-intentioned as it might be thought, well, we, we need to title this in a way that's going to make people interested to come. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's somebody at speak life, just like we, we do it here. There's somebody whose job it is, is to make all of your videos, you know, click worthy and all these things. So there's certainly a, something to be said for that, but do you think we spend too much time, um, Yes, worrying about the hearer, you know, and, and like you said, the, the guy with the mic, but then also thinking right. we have to make Jesus and the gospel more interesting or else no one will come. But yet you say that mm. the, the most important conversation you had that day was the guy who just, you know, for whatever reason, maybe it was a cultural bias, who knows why he thought Christianity might have an answer for his grief, but he did, Yes, you know, and yes. so do you think, do you think in an attempt to make the gospel marketable? we were, were sort of overstepping really what's necessary. Yeah. I, I, I think very often, I think often we're engaging with a minority of views. Hmm. We're, yeah. we're engaging. We're still engaging with Richard Dawkins. And, you know, we, we, we did a video on Richard Dawkins just a few weeks ago because he, you know, he weighed in on the down syndrome issue. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, um, but we can really be suckered into thinking that that Richard Dawkins is where the state of unbelief is, right? In and that's not true anywhere. It it might be true in one kind of postcode in North Oxford, but it's not. It's not. It's really not where the majority, even of atheists, are. And how many atheist friends do you have who fall over themselves to say, "I don't believe in God, but I'm not like Richard Dawkins." And, and yet, yeah. and I and I speak to myself when I say, yeah. "Why?" why do I keep on engaging with the guy with the microphone when the people in the room have a very different experience of things? Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not a case of, um, you know, this is the only way to get people interested in Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And he is the one thing that non-Christians think Christians might know about. You know, I, I think one way that we try to do apologetics is we, you know, let's let's speak into the European immigration crisis or Brexit or the pandemic or any number of sort of cultural issues. And and we say, let's let's use that as the hook. And then we'll tell people that, oh, here's a unique Christian perspective on the pandemic or whatever. Whereas most of my non-Christian friends, they don't think we will have anything to say about the pandemic necessarily. But they do at least grant that we might know something about Jesus. Mm-hmm. So why don't we lead with what we know about? <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, there's, there's another Australian called Dominic Steele. You might want to have um, him mm. on, on, the, on the show, but he, he's always talking about like, why do we have our talk titles that we then promote on Facebook, you know, come to our church and we'll have, you know, five Sunday nights on, you know, are Christians, you know, demented bigots and are, mm-hmm. are they idiots? Are they, you know, and he's like, you would never have Coca-Cola advertising with like a massive like campaign that says, mm-hmm. does Coca-Cola rot your teeth? <laughs> Does it? <laughs> right. 
<laughs> yeah. Come to our talk and find out. Yeah. And yeah. Then, you know, the person giving the talk is like, no, absolutely. It doesn't rot your teeth. But, but you've put that thought in people's heads. Yeah. And mm. 99% of people will, you know, will see the poster and not come to your event. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. What are we leading with? You mm -hmm. know, we need to lead with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like, I think that's the interesting thing. Like, so you mentioned in that, that right there, you mentioned both apologetics and evangelism. Um, I, I've noticed, and, and, you know, like I've had so many apologists on the show. I've had so many pastors, scholars. Um, and then, then there's every once in a while, someone like you, who I feel like is a number of things. I mean, you are an apologist, but you also are an evangelist. Do you feel like too often we compartmentalize apologetics to be, the person who goes out and yeah, they're at the, the really well-named event and they explain why Christians are not bigots, but we stop short of saying, Hey, let me tell you how great Jesus actually is. Cause, cause you know, like you and like in so many evangelists, like you are really just trying to say, look at the gospel and tell me that if there was more Jesus in the world, that the world wouldn't be better. So do you think we've <laughs> compartmentalized this a little bit too much? Very much so. I mean, I, I've got no beef with apologetics. If yeah. by apologetics you mean thoughtful, contextualized yeah. evangelism that takes people's questions seriously and answers them with the gospel. Mm. If that's what you mean by apologetics, I'm a thousand percent an apologist. If though apologetics is the stepping stones that we require to lead people on a journey from this neutral, this pre presumed neutrality um, of unbelief mm -hmm. and through reason and argument, taking them step by step um, towards the Christian worldview. I'm not into that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, I wrote a book called three, two, one mm -hmm. um, about, you know, God's threeness, the world's two-ness and your oneness. And it's, it's kind of a gospel outline that I, I use around the place. And one of the overarching analogies is Christianity is a house. It looks bonkers. It doesn't look like the West wing and the East wing like match up or anything. And there are kids who are arguing in the backyard and like, you're not really sure what's going. The signposting is a mess. What is, what is evangelism? It's really like throwing open the doors and saying, I know it looks a bit crazy from the outside, but the only way you're going to figure this thing out is from the inside. Mm. And therefore at that stage, you are presuming on the goodwill of the skeptic and you are, you're investing a lot in hospitality and love mm. for neighbor such that people say, well, the, the Christian thing doesn't make any sense to me, but I see the good they are doing in our community. So I might step inside the, the front door and get the grand tour. And I think evangelism mm. is getting the grand tour. And then at the end of my book, um, having gone through the threeness of God, the two-ness of the world, and your oneness, I then talk about FAQs. And that's where I deal with what about sex and science and suffering and all, all those questions on the basis of the grand tour that I've just given you. And actually, one, one other um, part of that book is before I talk about God's threeness, the world's two-ness, and your oneness, I talk about our tour guide, Jesus. Jesus is the one who reveals God's threeness, the world's two-ness, and your oneness. And it's just a a chapter going into Jesus. Isn't he brilliant? Isn't he amazing? And pointing to Jesus and saying, do you see him? Do you see him? Huh? Huh? 
<laughs> that's that's it. Like, what about this guy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so much of, of answering difficult questions is saying, I know, I know. But what about this guy? <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 It, it, I mean, and you, you know, the three, two, one. Um, I had planned on mentioning that and I'm glad that you did because um, I, I do think people are constantly looking for methods and schools of thought and evangelism and apologetics. And, and uh, in, in the West, we, we like programs. We like, you know, Hey, train us how to do it. Um, but, you know, like hearing you say that it reminds me and we'll, we'll kind of use something that's uh, common amongst between the two of us is, you know, I'm, I, in my Christian life, I, I grew up a great admirer of John Stott and, and the work that he did, um, interestingly, at All Souls, uh, a different All Souls than you're at. But um, so he he was well known and it was often discussed when he was when he passed away that he was very evangelistic in uh, in just like kind of the neighborhood surrounding his church. And they had, uh, I think what was probably very popular at the time, they had you know, evenings or, or particular services where it was like, go and bring a friend to this. And, and, and it's sort of, when we think about that, it's, it could seem really old school and out of date. Um, but do you think, and I'm saying this to somebody who, as I've mentioned a couple of times now is, is very much involved in producing high quality video content and podcasts and all that. But do you think that the church would be better off in a sense if we did go back to a little bit of the old school mentality which is like it like you said invite your friend over for dinner you know like invite them to church like um you know don't try and uh do something you know like the 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 student union that was trolling the student body um you know don't don't try and trick them into Jesus you know just holistically show them your life um, and yeah, if, and mm. if it's as simple as just invite them to sit next to you at church, maybe that's enough. Do you think like we would be better off if we said, hey, some of the old ways of doing things are, are still fine? I mean, and I, I think we need to um, reinvest in love as the the bridge into the community. I, I, I think it's especially like talking to apologists and, and thinking people, um, we, we tend to think that the way into the culture is an intellectual way, mm -hmm. answering existential questions and showing them the, the coherence of the gospel. Um, and, and Jesus says, you know, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. You know, if you have a, a 10 part lecture series on, <laughs> yeah. no, if you love one another. Um, and, and yeah, absolutely hospitality is massively a part of how we reach the world. Love is how we reach the world. And in the community of church is where mm -hmm. people start waking up to faith. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you compare the way that people actually become Christians to the imagined journey that we, we think people will have, and you know, traveling up the Engels scale, mm -hmm. um, th those, those two things are really quite, quite different. And I think we need to get back to this belief that um, love is the way. Mm -hmm. And I mean, one, one drum that I'm constantly banging is pastoral evangelism. You know, we, we, we tend to divorce the pastor from the evangelist 
and pastoral care from from evangelism and we we tend to think that that evangelism is is the brash you know me kind of person <laughs> with the thick skin and they don't care what people think and out they go whereas you know the pastor has always got their head cocked at sort of 90 degrees and saying and how did that make you feel and can yeah. i make you a cup of tea and mm-hmm. um whereas like in the bible an evangelist is a herald of good news, literally what the word means. And a pastor is this, is a shepherd who can beat up lions and, and bears like David could to protect the flock. Mm-hmm. So we, evangelism is actually pastoring non-Christians and pastoral care is evangelizing Christians. Mm. Wow. Yeah. But we need to bring these things together so that I say is I couldn't have gotten through X without Jesus. I couldn't have gotten through without Jesus. Mm. When, when you start putting words to just how Jesus has pastored you through the, the valley of the shadow and you're doing pastoral care because evangelism is just, is just pastoring on Christians, I reckon. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a tremendous way of looking at it. And, and it makes me think about a lot of the, the work that you personally have been doing recently, um, which, you know, you, interestingly enough, like, here lately, I've seen you take on um, so many problems in the church that have come about, you know, most notably um, being a leading voice in like, how do we process the Ravi Zacharias controversy? How do we process sexual abuse in the church by by the very shepherds that you just said should be chasing away the the wolves, but they themselves we were finding out are, are, are at times wolves. Do you think for the church, especially in the West, which is struggling with somewhat of an identity crisis, do you think it is more important than ever that pastors, evangelists, and just Christians in general are to be seen reckoning with these problems that we're so often accused of, you know, like you said, the, the humanist who stood up at the event and for 20 minutes pointed out every glaring issue. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think, I mean, it's obvious that at times th- throughout history, we, we've just kind of brushed that under the, the rug and said uh, that won't come to light, but obviously things are coming to light. Do you think for the witness and integrity of the church, we have to be seen dealing with those things so that people will take evangelists and pastors serious in those endeavors of shepherding and pastoring a hundred percent and and i think part of um part of why we've been blind to the problems in our own sheepfolds is we have said let's not investigate that too deeply because you know it and doing a good work okay and and if somebody's good at like searching after lost sheep, um, we we give them a free pass on the fact that they're abusing those who manage to you know get into the fold, mm-hmm. um, and and this is part of the divorce. Like we're 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 able to give people we were able to give Rabbi Zacharias a free pass, and, and he was unimpeachable, mm-hmm. and could not be questioned about you you how dare you ask for my phone? Don't you don't you understand? You know. I'm an evangelist. I'm, <laughs> all the good that I'm doing out there mm-hmm. became, in the words of Matthew 23, whitewash for all the evil that lurked beneath. And is is that a problem not just with Ravi Zacharias, but more broadly? Yeah, I think I think it absolutely is. 
And what kind of detached gospel do we have that says, let's forget about um, the protection and provision and care for the flock Mm -hmm. and just like yank people into the sheepfold? Why? Why are we yanking them into a a dangerous place? place the church should be the 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 most secure place it should be it should be a refuge mm-hmm. um and to the degree that we take seriously the light that is shone on us i think then the world can take us seriously as people who are more interested in the truth than in the tribe mm-hmm. and too yeah. often we've been people who are more interested in the tribe than in the truth and and how much of the old testament is basically yeah. Prophets coming from outside the system, from outside the schools of the prophets, saying, don't trust in the temple, saying, you know, Jeremiah 7, the temple of the Lord, we've got the temple of the Lord, we've got the temple of the Lord. And all the while you're harboring injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament, it's this, this sense of judgment begins with the household of God. Mm-hmm. Or in Amos, is that amazing verse uh, where the Lord says of Israel, you alone have I chosen from among the nations, therefore I will punish you. What? Yeah. Surely we've got, the, there's the bad people out there and we're the good, good guys. And Jesus is like, no, no, you are first in the queue for a reckoning. Mm. And that, that is you know, like, so Christ takes on at the, at the head of the house, he takes on that wrath bearing, judgment and that justice and we hide ourselves in christ in repentance and faith and are led through but judgment begins with the house of god and we we tend to think no judgment is for the outsider and those nasty unwashed people over there but actually the way of the gospel is to be the first to bow our heads to justice to repent and believe to come clean to walk in the light as he is in the light and the blood of jesus purifies us from all sin and unless we're doing that first we've got no message for the nations you know? yeah so it's, yeah. it's got to come together uh, so for the for the listener who you know they probably clicked on this um thinking oh glenn's gonna just teach me how to evangelize you know three two one is good and in in like in the work that you guys are doing but really what I'm so passionate for people to hear is what you just said, which is um, what good news, <laughs> you, uh, you know, I mean, like if we're, if we're hiding all of our sins and we're, we're whitewashing the sins of our greatest leaders, what, what good news are we talking about? You right, know, I mean, in, in, right. that's, I so appreciate that about you. I really do. And that's why I was so, so excited to have, uh, have you on the show and, I do think that bleeds through, um, you know, if anybody is following you on Twitter and, and social media and they're following Speak Life, they're seeing right now what has been, um, you know, a campaign to say, no, we, you know, we need to deal with this. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, continuing to, do, to quote unquote, do evangelism. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's the honesty and transparency that all Christian organizations should have of like, you know, we, we definitely do not have our stuff together. But let's show the world how we deal with our problems. And maybe, mm. just maybe, that might actually make Jesus even more attractive than some yeah. westernized, you know, uh, secular version of him, you know? 100%. And, uh, like the, and this was not at all the intention. Yeah. But six months ago, I did a, a video on, you know, Rabbi Zacharias is Amnon. Mm-hmm. Who are you? And Amnon from the story of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 13. And um, 
you know, there you've got the rape of Tamar, which is absolutely a punch in the guts when you when you read through this. And it's the most psychologically insightful thing you could possibly read about what is betrayal, blindness, and and you know the the whole you know it takes a village not just to raise a child, it takes a village to abuse a child. Um, and, and so I, I did this verse by verse, hour long exposition of 2 Samuel chapter 13. And, you know, there's, there's this character, this character, this character, oh, going into the Hebrew, I was going into, you know, mm-hmm. um, I was doing a Bible overview as I did it. And I, I would say more people have gotten in touch to say that they either have begun trusting Christ or have returned to Christ in watching that video, mm. which was all about holding not just Ravi to account, but 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 an entire ecosystem mm. that that both allows for and then covers over evil. Yeah. And and there were, there were people who hadn't been to church for, for years who said, I'm going to start trusting again. I'm going to start... Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all about taking evil seriously, hmm. and it's it was it was not intended to be uh, an evangelistic video, mm-hmm. but it has proved the most evangelistically fruitful thing I've done in the last year, probably. Mm. Which I don't know that that teaches you something, and and also, I think at some stage you need to have the conversation about um, why do we think the way that we think about sexual abuse? Why do we think the way that we think about Harvey Weinstein? Mm-hmm. Why do we think the way that we think about Me Too? What, like, what do you call Harvey Weinstein when you transplant him into any other culture in human history? Mm-hmm. You call that business as usual. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you do. Mm-hmm. Without the Jesus revolution mm-hmm. that we are living within and without the assumptions that we that Jesus Christ uniquely has given to us, without him and without the assumptions that he has given to us, Harvey Weinstein is just business as usual. Of course, a more powerful man abuses his power to claim the bodies of those he wants when he wants them. You know, the uh, Ro- Roman culture was, was mm-hmm. all about a freeborn man and his absolute rights over not only his wife, but his children and his slaves over, over anyone, you know, and, mm-hmm. and what is, what is the revolution that actually delivers to us all the values by which we can say that sexual abuse is wrong. Mm-hmm. What's well, it's Jesus. You know, he, he teaches us that, that bodies are more like temples than they are like playgrounds. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he is the one that gives us an equality of the sexes. Mm-hmm. You know, he is the one who gives us uh a belief that power should be used in order to protect and serve those beneath you rather than exploit them. Everyone else says, use your power to exploit. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that everybody, whether Christian or not, t- take it for granted that Harvey Weinstein should not use his position like that only mm-hmm. goes to show how very Christian-ish they are. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and at some stage, the way of talking about these things is is to say, look, your only hope for a safe place is Jesus. Mm-hmm. But those words ring hollow if the church is not the refuge that Christ intends it to be. Yeah, And so we do need to do the work of taking this stuff seriously and being the first people to take it seriously. But at some mm-hmm. stage, you bring together the pastoral care and mm-hmm. the cultural yeah. analysis yeah. and the gospel because you say Jesus is your only, only hope. 
Yeah. And, and to a certain degree, evangelism in this new and skeptical and sometimes antagonistic world is listening to the cries of the heart and, and helping people understand the reason you feel not, not some intellectual, like the only reason you feel that way is because you're from the West and it's a Christianized world. But in fact, what I'm really hearing you say is helping people understand the reason you are crying for justice is because your heart really truly cries out for God who is all about justice. And in, Mm. and perhaps um, instead of making our evangelism, there's always going to be programs. There's always going to be particular missions and endeavors. Those things don't need to go away, but maybe the heart needs to be, let's help people finish the story you know, Uh you know, like, like what you're saying is me too. And Harvey Weinstein and Ravi Zacharias, people are enraged and incensed and let's help them figure out why. Um, and, and so, and and, and I, and I so appreciate the ministry of speak life. And and before, before I let you go, I I do want to talk just for a moment because you and I both you, um, much better than, than I, but you know, are, are involved in what might be called you know, new media, which I don't know that it's new anymore, but, um, I heard you, I heard you say one time talking about, um, you know, Facebook and Instagram and social media that you said, if these social medias were countries, they would be the biggest Mm. countries on planet earth. You know, Facebook Mm. has a couple billion people. Um, so for listeners who haven't gone to the speak life website yet, which is going to be listed in the notes and followed you, you know, what is it about what speak life's doing that you're most excited about? uh, in the next mm. couple of years. Um, because I do think you guys are tremendous and the quality of stuff you're putting out is, is, uh, difficult to find. So, so yeah, what is it, what is it that makes you, uh, you know, so excited to reach those new countries, so to speak, uh, mm. as a missionary? Yeah, there, there are all sorts of possibilities, I think. And, and pandemic is also, um, really cleared away that third space you know we we talk about where we live and where we work and where's the third space maybe it's the gym or or wherever um and and less and less are people having a third space less less and less Mm. the third space that people live in uh is facebook or twitter or wherever um and and this is this is where we do so much of our thinking out loud Mm -hmm. um this is where we connect with people um and you know we're, we're we're not the most flash media organization at yep. all um but we're, we're trying to um get people to kind of own their christianity online and not be a jerk <laughs> like yeah. that would be a massive win don't you think yeah <laughs> you know? that'd be good put christian in your bio and then don't be a jerk and mm-hmm. like you're 80 85 of the way to being yeah. a world-class evangelist That's a big online. improvement yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, we have an internship program where we've got people sort of coming to us from all over the world. We've got a couple of people from, from the States joining us in September for our 10 month in uh, residential internship program. And then people can also buy into our school of creative evangelism online. So people can find uh, links to that on, on the mm-hmm. website. We've got um, Tuesday training doing more kind of biblical and theological overview. We've got uh, Friday training. Uh, thinking more about evangelism and creativity and the interface between them and how to be uh, creative in our in our evangelism mm. uh, we've got some uh, practical intensive weeks uh, here in uh, Eastbourne on, on the south coast of the UK where people can sort of learn uh, some of the sort of the speak life um, mission philosophy but but also get their hands 
um, dirty in in filmmaking mm-hmm. and uh, those practicalities. So I'm really I'm really excited about the, yeah. the foundry and mm-hmm. raising up a generation of digital evangelists and people who who um, can speak for Christ in in those spaces. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one yeah. thing I'm really excited about. And mm-hmm. um, and another thing that I'm excited about you know, in the next year is um, really off the back of what we were just saying about. Uh, Ravi and Harvey Weinstein and that sort of stuff. I'm I'm writing a book called. Um, at the moment, the title is uh, Midair: uh, History's Great Leap of Faith, and it's it's basically saying, look, it, it is the Jesus Revolution that has given us our ideas about rights and equality, love and sacrifice, consent and commitment, scholarship and science, and uh, what was that progress and and um, I was it progress and freedom, right? Mm. So we we have these notions. Where have they come from? Uniquely, distinctively, um, they have come from Jesus, and yet we take all these things for granted. And and I think so many of of my ways forward in evangelistic conversations now are basically saying you've already taken a leap of faith. You know, even even Matt Dillahunty, who, who I debated, you know, the things that you take for granted, such as, you know, the self-ownership of every single person, such that slavery is unthinkable. Okay. Guess, guess who you owe that to. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and therefore, and yet you you do not learn that from science. Mm-hmm. And you don't learn that from philosophy. Plato and Aristotle thought that of course you should have slaves and they are, they are living tools and nature teaches you these things. Um, where have these values come from? You have already taken a, a, an almighty leap of faith. <laughs> um, you need some ground beneath your feet. Mm. And what I'm noticing is that there are all sorts of people in the culture who, um, uh, who are recognizing the, the inheritance that we have from, from Christianity, but they don't feel like they can take a leap of faith to believe in Jesus. And what I'm trying to do is reorient that conversation and saying, you are indeed correct. Those things have come to you uniquely from Jesus. They make no sense apart from him. Human rights are just nonsense on stilts. Mm-hmm. Um, you are midair believing in these things. You need some ground beneath your feet. And the only ground that fits is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm seeing that that's, that's actually a really useful way for people to, to process. Because mm-hmm. modern secular people think that they're not believers. I want to show them they are already believers. Um, and while they think that, that it's the Christian who is um, credulous with no evidence, I want to show that the shoe is on the other mm-hmm. foot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And here is Jesus. So, yeah. so yeah, midair is coming out uh, at yeah. the beginning of next year. So I'm looking forward yeah, to that. Yeah, that's so good. Um, and so that's that's when I said at the beginning of the interview, brash, and you laughed and said rude. See, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> See, <laughs> it's not rude. It's just the surprising thing, Glenn, is that um, not enough people are talking that way. You, you, you know, um, right. that's, that's really right. the sad reality is that we're not – you're looking at the face of secularism and saying, hmm – your harshest criticism is actually <laughs> is actually to be turned around on you. And so that's that, uh, right. that it's that holy brashness I'm talking about, which I like so much about you. OK. All right. <laughs> but um, <laughs> whenever. Uh, yeah. Whenever that comes out, please, um, let's let's have another conversation about that, because that sounds absolutely fascinating. Um, and until then, um, listeners can find all the links uh, to speak life and to Glenn's various social medias, um, these, these new mission fields, so to speak, the third space that social media has become um, and definitely check out speak life. And if uh, we do have quite a few listeners in the UK, so please 
um, check out what's going on with those classes and the internship program and everything going on in the life of the foundry. Glenn, um, it's an honor to have had you on the show. I I've been an admirer of you for quite some time and that's only grown in this conversation. So thanks for making time uh, for all things, all people. Thank you.